evening, gentlemen. Well, Hello. good evening, Michael. How are you? Michael DeRoche. Well, is it DeRoche? Right. Is, am I pronouncing that correctly? You know what? I don't think it even matters at this point. Uh, oh. DeRoche is usually how I say it. I think my dad said it a little differently and gives my mom heck for saying it the way she does. So it's all good. <laughs> oh, good. That's why it's nice to have a name like Kleinschmidt. There's only one way to say that. <laughs> exactly. I, I always exactly. say Kleinschmidt with <laughs> emphasis on the second syllable. But anyway, well, it's good to talk to you, Michael. It's good to be here. Um, we've heard of you. We know of you for a long time, probably. Well, and uh, yeah, and I'm grateful uh, for what you guys have said, some nice uh, nice things about my book and my, my journal and uh Obviously, I'm aware of you guys, too. I think you guys do a, a great job of opening a window into the, the community for a lot of people. Oh, thanks. Uh, we we hope people like it. And we Every once in a while, we still get letters from somebody that'll say uh, that we we are responsible for their for them getting back into ASL. It's not always a happy letter. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're from their wives, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Um, you know, I, I looked you up. I, I put your name in Google like I like to do because I'm a bit of a stalker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been and, called that, no? and what came up is it's this very nice um, profile of you on Goodreads of all places with uh, with a very excellent picture of a very handsome fellow. And I'm wondering if this is you in, in a sure kilt. doesn't sound like it. In, yeah. <laughs> Well, in a Canadian uh, military uniform and a kilt, it looks like it's all in navy blue with a couple of chevrons on the sleeve and some red. Yeah, I've been in the Reserve Army here for about, it's going to be 30 years come October 21st, but uh, everything, it goes by fast, right? Same with playing squad leader. Like the years go by, don't they? Yes. They certainly do. And all you have to, you know, you look back on those 30 years and think, what did I do for 30 years? Let me think. I played a lot of ASL. What else? I had kids, but I played some <laughs> D&D, played some really good ASL. <laughs> so where was it, when was this picture taken? Is this a fairly recent one? I don't even remember. Um, oh, okay. I've been in the same rank for, I think, 29 years. So Uh-oh. Could be. Um, are you an yeah. underachiever? Are you an underachiever, Michael? Is that the problem? Underachiever? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> no, not, uh, not, not really. Not when, lack ambition. <laughs> yeah, not when you write. Well, there's gotta book. be worker bees, right? It's almost worker bee. Yeah, oh, I gotcha. Like, I still go out and uh, do my bit, and if they need a truck loaded, I load the truck, and if they need someone to man the radio, I man the radio. That's the fun stuff for me. Just getting the hands dirty. Yeah. And you're a, and you're a producer also of 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 the CanadianSoldiers.com site. Yeah, and... I'm the webmaster there. It's just kind of a, a hobby thing. We've all got so many hobbies, right? It seems like everyone's producing content now. That's kind of the problem. Like, you hear them talk about the uh, the ASL journal, and they're always looking for for contributions. Well, everyone's got their own blog or website yeah. or yeah. podcast, right? And I don't know. Everything's so fractured now. That Well, that is kind of true. Cause it, I, yeah, I, very true. I look at the, um, the Bonsai newsletter, and it's got articles worthy of the journal. It's really good. Yeah, it's excellent. That's one of my favorites. That does, you know, the Texas boys do a lot of good work. But as far as being a, a, a producer also, uh, you know, I mean, it's still a good thing because there are people in the world that really don't produce anything. <laughs> and I was talking to my students at school, and um, 
we were now to the fifties and the invention of television. And so then we have a conversation, but is that necessarily a good thing that people spend, you know, two to four hours in front of the tube every day and the kids were half were like, yeah, and half were no. And I said, yeah, when you're watching that TV, what are you making? What are you creating? You know, as a well, question. Thing too, it's like, there's so much amateur content and I don't say that to be insulting, but the more you write and the more you try and produce, the more you realize you can't do it by yourself. Like you need a good editor. You take a look at MMP and they've got dozens of guys proofreading and play testing and you have to, and that's the difference. And I think we're losing sight of it because more people are willing to accept amateur content. And if there's a couple of typos in it, well, it doesn't really matter. Like they're still having fun with the, the scenarios or whatever you're talking about, but there's still a difference between amateur and professional and those lines are becoming more blurred all the time, I think. Yeah, that's, that is true also. Um, but, yeah, quality is and, – and you're right about it being a together kind of thing. When you worked on your book, um, did you have any collaboration or editors? I kind of forgot. Well, that's just the thing. I mean, I looking back, you can see that I could have really used an editor, a professional editor. I sent uh, my first journal off uh, – to someone, uh, he was a professional editor, and just uh, night and day, like you stopped seeing the forest for the trees, and he did great work. Uh, my scenario book, yeah, I, I mean, I sent it out uh, for some proofreading, not professional editing, just proofreading, and I had some collaboration with the, with the scenarios in there, and I had some play testers doing the scenarios I designed for the book, and um, it was, uh, it it really helped the quality of the work, right? But I should have done more of it looking back. Well, I think it turned out pretty good. Yeah, I didn't. Honestly, I, th I thought it was really good. I think I read actually everything in it. Maybe I skipped a small part, but uh, I was impressed. Yeah, and I'm a very critical reader, so I, I don't, um, and I don't have time. I don't let myself spend time on stuff that's not well produced. Well, I, I remember your review of one of the uh, the journals. It was about French forces or something. I remember you kind of had to backtrack on it because you had been very, not critical, but uh, discerning about what you were reading, right? Yes. So, yeah, I, I remember that about you. Yeah. <laughs> the um, Now, the journals, focusing on that for a second now, that's the Tactical Wargamers Journal. Right, yes. And, and that... Are you still getting that published in paper, or is that just now digital? I was doing it digital and um, and in paper, and it took so much work, you know, especially coordinating with other writers. It's kind of fallen off my radar right now. Yeah, like yeah. I, I had a particular goal in mind. Like, the goal is always, well, first of all, every writer, every songwriter, every creative person wants to do stuff that they're going to enjoy, right? So you don't write... Right. I'll write a novel or design a scenario that other people are going to like. If you do, I don't think you're going to succeed. I think you got to do what you want to do. You know, write, write the book you want to read. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so with the journal, I wanted to do something uh, that that I wanted to see, something with uh, footnotes done in a scholarly way. And um, so I put a lot of work into it, but uh, it's tough, and especially you know without that kind of editorial support, it's. It's tough, so it's kind of falling off my radar. Yeah, it is tough for the for self publishers or people like that who you don't realize going into it how much work is involved with that. Well, 
that's the you, funny thing. I always convince myself, you know what, I can crank this out next weekend. I'll set yeah. aside two days, maybe three. <laughs> right. And then a year later, and you're still slugging away at it. Right. Now, I'm, you know, looking at, like I said, I was looking at your page on Goodreads of all places. I was surprised to find you here, and you've got, there's eh, about seven or eight things on here. So what what was the first thing you wrote? Was that uh, the first issue of the Tactical Wargamers Journal, or was it? Well, the first thing I did was in the 90s. I did a book on Canadian uh, Army uniforms, and that was with a bona fide publisher. That wasn't self-published. I... That was the clothing and equipment of the Canadian foot soldier? That's right, yeah. And okay. again, there was nothing out there. Looking back, I would have done some things differently, but it was my first book. And um, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot out there, and I was studying this this area and I couldn't find any information. So I decided to do it myself. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, I, if you, these days, if you can find something that somebody that nobody else has done, done, yeah, yeah, definitely jump on it. Um, And you, you like the way that turned out pretty much. How long ago was that? When did you write that? I think that was 94, 95. Yeah. Okay. I was university. Yeah. And then I followed that up uh, in 2001 with another book with a different publisher in Ottawa uh, same, uh, same subject matter, just a different format. I did a lot more um, original research, like using uh, period documents and stuff. So it's probably better researched. Not as attractive. It's all black and white photography, but uh, still. And I, I get you know nice comments. No one gets rich doing any of this stuff, right? This hobby stuff. Yeah. It's a niche market, right? Oh yeah. Well, now and that was dressed to kill. Yes, that's right. Which you can get on Amazon. Actually, that's my next question. So for those publications and the journal, they're still available for our listeners? Uh, I believe Dress to Kill has been reprinted. Uh, the best place to go is to service publications. That's the name of the uh, the publisher. He's still in Ottawa. I don't think he goes through Amazon. You can probably get used copies. Amazon's pretty insidious, right? They put stuff up there that they don't have the rights to. Yeah. And they do it right. through book sellers and stuff, so... Better to go to the publisher direct and, you know, like I said, I'm getting rich on this stuff, but um, that's the best way to get it. And then the Tactical Wargamers Journal, which is my little thing, uh, there's three issues in total. You can still get it either in hard copy, which is expensive because it is um, self-published or print-on-demand, or you can get it in electronic copy, I think, for $10 each. Okay. Oh, nice. And that would be at your website or... You can go, yeah, my website, tacticalwargamer.com. I got your website, right, tacticalwargamer.com, and canadiansoldiers.com focuses on Canadian Army in the 20th century. Or you can go to lulu.com, which is where my book, uh, the scenario design book is, the journals are. You can find Mark's book on scenario design there. Okay, well, we want to be sure to put the links in the in the show notes. So how did you get started with all this? Tell us a little of your background, at least as it pertains to eventually to ASL. To ASL, well, um, yeah, it's like we all kind of have the same background, don't we? I played a little bit of squad leader in junior high school. And then the first day of high school, uh, I just show up to social studies class, and I'm sitting in front of this kid, and weird-looking kid, He's wearing a striped T-shirt, and it's the 1980s, so he's got all this gel in his hair. And he doesn't have a man bun exactly. He's got this little ponytail thing. And the teacher kind of asks us, goes around the room, well, what are your interests, right? And so I said, oh, I play war games, whatever. And this guy spun around in his chair and said, oh, yeah, I play war games too. What do you play? And I said, well, squad leader. This is about 1984. 
And he says, oh, yeah, we put Squad Leader in the chess club at lunch. You should come join us. And <laughs> the, the rest was kind of history. His name was Colin, uh, Colin Emerson. He's active in some of the Facebook groups. And we played through high school. Uh, Colin was kind of the, the most popular among our group, right? Which, I mean, that was a low bar, but he was a tall kid and had some experience with girls. And most of us were just, you know, shy introverts. And so he was doing pretty good. So we all kind of looked up to him. And it was always a treat when he came over and played squad leader with us. And then after university, we kind of drifted away from it, right? As you do. And then uh, about 18 months ago, Colin calls me up. Hadn't talked to him in years. Says he saw one of my YouTube videos about... ASL. He just bought the starter kit, and uh, let's get together sometime. Well, here it is a year and a half later, and we put 90 scenarios together. Wow. wow. That's that's amazing. So and, and does he live close by, or do you play? are you playing by um, Vassal? Well, we do both. He lives about an hour out of town. Oh, okay. But he'll come over to play face-to-face, because we prefer that, right? We went. I went to my first tournament to actually sit down and play last year. Uh, George Callum, you guys talked to him. Yeah. He runs a little thing called the West Coast Rumble out yeah. in uh, D.C. So we went to that. I think it was the 10th annual. And uh, we played against some guys. It's funny because a lot of them were local Calgary guys. And we'd gone to one of the Calgary meetups and played against some of them there as well. And, um, yeah, so we play on Vassal and we play face-to-face. And, um it's a different experience now. Like in high school, I think we were just killing time. They'd come over and we played video games and draw cartoons with them and didn't really take it too seriously. And now Colin, I think he's he's really into it. Like we'll play through the game and he's got an hour drive to go back home. He's got a family to go back to. But he's, he's like, he sticks around and says, we debrief, right? It's like, um, uh, yeah, I think we could have done this better. No, you really couldn't have done anything different. And it's, uh, he's, you know, we both wrestled the rule book, right? Uh, and try and get things right to like, really improve our play. Whereas in high school, I don't think we really bothered with any of that. It was so insular. Like, it was like there was no one else in the world playing it. Every couple of months, you got a copy of the general. And that was your, that was how you reached into the world. That's how you knew anybody else was playing it. Yeah. Which is why it was like, you know, the two half squads is so great. And you kind of open it up and, give us all like this window into the world of what everyone else is doing. So it's a, it's a much bigger world now. Well, yeah. So he has more experience now with girls than he did before even. Well, that's what he tells me. I, yeah. mean, okay. uh, I haven't Googled them like you may have. Yeah. Already, but, uh, <laughs> we while I was talking that. there. <laughs> uh, he's always like taste. I mean, he's, uh, he was into track biking and uh, following a tour of France, right? And all us schmucks up here were interested in hockey. So it was like, I think that was where the mystique was. And now he's into sled dog racing. He's got like a whole acreage full of sled dogs. And his girlfriend has horses. And Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So there's other stuff in the world, right? I guess, uh, I guess so. Unfortunately, that is true. I did go to Spain. And Dave is a world traveler. Yeah, he's he Again, walking around with the took a while with a uh, cape <laughs> draped over one shoulder now. Well, and I got to tell you, I just spent a weekend, and uh, it left me kind of optimistic for the future of ASL. You know, there's all this doom and gloom about oh, we're getting older, and there's no one well, coming up to the banks and taking over. And I last year I got back into like World War II reenactment, like I did it a long time ago, and I kind of oh. got back. But so I've been to two events. 
I like those. And, uh, I spent the weekend with 12 guys, just a private event. We wore the uniforms and camped out and did some drills. About half of them are in their 20s. And they're smart guys, like university. They're not used to university like I took, right? They have real degrees in engineering and stuff. And to listen to them, uh, they're mostly into bolt-action miniatures. But they know so much about the history, like the same way we did coming up. And they're talking about Italian tanks and penetration statistics and all this stuff. And I'm just sitting back listening. And it's like, this is really great to see, like really passionate about it. Whereas there's all this doom and gloom of maybe no one's going to take over for us. So I think these guys are the future. And I told them I play ASL and their eyes kind of got big. And I don't know if it was because they were in awe or because they thought I was like some damn fool and they were scared <laughs> I was going to talk about that big orange binder. But a couple <laughs> of them starter kit too, right? And they haven't really gotten into playing. I think they just need someone to show them. And whoever it is, I well, we know who designed the, the starter kit, but he was a genius. I mean, more people have gotten back into it because of that. That's why Colin called me up 18 months ago. He bought the starter kit and says, I want you to try. So we played two scenarios and it's like, great, I'm ready to go whole hog now. Yeah, there that's was, really, that's nice. Yeah, although Jeff and I are thinking of going back to Starter yeah. now because we can't remember anything <laughs> anymore. Oh, well, it's tempting, and that's the joke, too. Uh, I played against a guy named Brent Pollock here. He's kind of been in a couple of different communities. He's published a couple of scenarios, too. He invited me to his house, and we're playing, and he says, well, I'll tell you what ASL is. He says, it's two guys playing against the rule book. And I just thought that was... <laughs> yeah, like, that really, I've, I've not heard that before, but that kind of sums it up. Well, yeah, and so, you know, that's the best kind of way to play for me. I'm not big into competition or anything, but, you know, you tell the other guy he missed a roll or you got to do this, and then you're both looking up rules, and it's, and it's true. It's like you're both battling the rule book. Yeah. And and strangely, the rule book always wins. <laughs> yeah. And I know, because sometimes, Jeff, we just say, let's just do it this way. Well, yeah, and that's that's the rule book winning, too. <laughs> Oh, the uh, but the charts have really helped a lot for me, the flow charts. Well, it's like you're always learning something every time you sit down. There's always something new, and then you go, and then you make them go on you know, Facebook or one of the forums, and you get just twice as confused because they're doing things differently, and you're like trying to figure out what's going on. But uh, this is the second time I tried to get back into it. Um, oh, I don't know, seven years ago, ten years ago, a guy named Gary Crockover, and he's kind of active in a bunch of different communities, too. He calls himself GJK, and uh, he got me playing the starter kits again. And so he let me listen to him and this guy in New Jersey, Skype, and uh, kind of played a few games with him, too. Gary's a good teacher. Like, he's a better teacher than I would be. He's very patient. And playing this guy from New Jersey, I'd listen. They had microphones, and I didn't, so I kind of watched what they were doing. And then the Iraq war happened, and this guy from New Jersey was a Marine Corps reservist. So he gets activated, and Gary kind of keeps in touch. I don't know if they're great friends. I think they just knew each other through squad leader. And then he goes missing in action. And I say, holy cow. Yeah. And it turns out he was a prisoner of war, I think, for a short time. And then he came home safe, but just dropped out of squad leader, right? Like, once he's seen the real deal, it's like, I don't think he had any appetite to treat it as a game anymore. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, probably true. But again, like the starter kit has been great for just getting people together and getting people into it. So it might happen with these these other young guys. You know, if they really show an interest, um, I can get them into to playing starter kit. Maybe we'll see what happens. 
maybe they'll suck me into bolt action, which would be, you know, more money and hobbies to start. Yeah, the, the miniatures are a bit expensive, but fun. So um, when you got out of university and you went to, you got a degree in history, right? Did, uh, history and communications? That's right, yes. And how did you go from there to the Army Reserve? Or, I mean, what was your thought when you were at the university? Were you thinking of going into teaching, or did you have some idea what you were going to do with that? I was thinking about teaching. Actually, I started in, after I met Colin, right, right like, I didn't I didn't think I was going to connect them back to conversation, but this is true. Uh, like I said, he was kind of the guy we looked up to. Well, he joined the Army Cadet. I don't know if you have anything like it in the States. It's sort of like the Young Marines. It's for people 13 to 18, and you kind of do military-type stuff, and it's just a youth program, right? Well, he joined this organization called the Calgary Highlanders. And so at the time, I was thinking of joining Boy Scouts or something. Like, I was just bored, wanted to do something. And I said, oh, well, what's the Army Cadets about? And he says, oh, you get a uniform, you do military drill. And my dad had been in the reserves, like, for a couple years. So I said, okay, well, that sounds interesting. So I got into that, and... It wasn't really Colin's thing. He's a pretty independent guy. So he got out after a few months, but I stayed in. And they they wanted to start a pipe and drum band, right? So I got free bagpipe lessons while I was in high school. And then when I started university, I needed money. I was aging out of the cadets, and I said, well, just join the Army. You can go in as a musician and get paid to travel and play bagpipes. So I did that. And nine years go by, graduated university. It paid for all my books and tuition. And I just stayed in. I transferred from the pipe band into the battalion, and I've done all kinds of stuff. I've been a clerk, I've been a driver, I've been a signaler. You play the bagpipes? Say again? You play bagpipes? I did. I haven't touched them in a long time, but... That's been one of my life goals. Well, if you want bad enough, you'll do it, right? When I retire, I guess. Yeah. Did you say you were a cleric also in the military? I'm still a clerk. I'm still there, uh, still doing clerk stuff. It's been rewarding. Yeah. It's been, Not a know. cleric. Dave oh, said, <laughs> why, why would he be a cleric? I thought like a priest oh, or a pastor. Okay. I oh, gotcha. no. okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was bringing in role-playing games. Suddenly. I, I no, no, no. I before, but never a cleric. <laughs> so, you're, so you're doing, you do that full-time? Is that it? No, no, sir. I do that part-time. It's always been just part-time. Never oh, served okay. We never gone overseas. We got activated during the floods a couple of years ago. So went out and filled sandbags, but that's about as close as I got. Okay. Um, you know, you know, if you ever hear that I'm going to war, you don't know we're finished, right? It's like I'd be the absolute bottom of the barrel guy that would call in, especially now that I'm, you know, the age I am. Yeah, I always see myself as that guy when I watch the war movies as that that guy in the background, like the red shirts from Star Trek. I'd be that guy, the guy that gets killed. One. The first guy to take the bullet. Yeah, that yeah. would be me. So you have another job, is that right? You have a full-time job, or are you independently wealthy and you just... Uh... Oh, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? No, yeah. it hasn't been from my books or anything. Uh, no, I work full-time with uh, emergency medical services. I'm not a practitioner. I just work in the office there. But I've been with uh, Alberta Health Services as the overarching health uh, authority in the province. I've been with them for, I guess, 17 years. Like I say, time goes by fast. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me like there's a pretty big distance between playing ASL and actually starting to then publish things t- to the extent that you have. I mean, you didn't just start with 
a little newsletter. You came out with the Tactical Wargamers Journal, and you know, which is a pretty, pretty big task. How how did that come about? That you you yeah, went from know. just playing to uh, actually producing some really great quality stuff. I guess frustration at not being able to publish anything for real. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, it started with the design, uh, the scenario design book. And that was kind of inspired by Mark's, obviously. That was kind of a reaction to that. You know, Mark's book came out, and uh, well, first, I mean, it's a good book. I'll, I'll say that flat out. It, it, you know, it's a good book, and a lot of people said good things about it, and for good reason, right? Yeah. And I kind of went through it. And at the time, uh, this book came out when 2006, I think. Mark was one of those guys that's kind of larger than life, right? On the forum, I knew a guy like him in the combat mission forums too. His name was Jason Colley. And these guys are, uh, they treat everything very seriously and the very smart guys know a lot, but maybe not generous in how they treat others and how they share that information, yeah, you know? Some of, some of them refuse to um, put a link to the half squads on their, you know. I've heard rumors to that effect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's before the court, so we don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah. Uh, good luck with that, by the way. And anyway, um, so I made a couple comments on the forum. And that's kind of the game with these, not the game, but with these guys that are, you know, big and they present themselves well. And it's, it's always kind of a, a treat, you know, when you get them to notice you. Like you say something and, and from out of the blue, they kind of lower themselves down to earth and agree, yeah, he's, you know, Michael said something that's correct. And for whatever reason, it's like, yeah, that's pretty cool, but I got his attention. So I... I said a couple of things about Mark's book and who do you think, like who in the world would be most suited to taking, you know, constructive feedback than someone who provides so much critique of others work. Right. Like you, you would, would think. Yeah. You would think. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, are you, are you, are you going to get around to that? That was not the case with Mark. Well, yeah. <laughs> just, well, the comments were ignored and it's like, okay, yeah, uh, a big deal. So I wrote a, a formal review and I was, I was a little torqued, and I was a little, a little petty, and I kind of said some harsh, harsh comments, fair comments, I thought, right? But Mark always prided himself on being harsh and fair, so I did the same thing. Now Mark didn't have the ability to delete my review, but he did have the ability because it's the publisher's website to stop all comments whatsoever. So that's what he did. He turned off the comments, and my, my review vanished. And I thought, well, you know what? That's fair. You know, he obviously feels that he did his best work, and it's it's a good book. There's nothing wrong with it. And I just thought, and we, we just talked about this, it's like there's no reason I couldn't write my own book. Like if, if Mark's book isn't the one I think it could be, you should write the book that you want to write mm -hmm. and include this stuff. Yeah, right. It should be included. And so I sat down and I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. This has inspired me. And so I wrote the book, and I'll tell you who I'm grateful to. It's John Ferris. I don't know if you've seen his name, but he's one of the Oklahoma ASL guys. He's friends with Michael Cadu, and and he went on the forum. Didn't address me directly, but he just there was some conversation after both books came out. And John said, "Well, you know what? Both books are good. They complement each other. And uh, if you're interested in it, you should check them both out." And ever since John said that. And I'm grateful that he did. I just thought, yeah, you're right. You know, like, why would I go around bad-mouthing somebody else's work? When you're right, that's up to, it's up to everybody to decide for themselves what they want to enjoy. 
I'm not going to tell anybody else how to have fun or what books to read. And, and so since then, I've kind of smartened up a little bit and said, yeah, you, if you're interested in scenario design, there's so many good people out there to talk to. Just go on the forum, talk to Pete Schelling, talk to Andy Hershey, talk to Stephen Swan, Glenn Houseman, you know, all these guys who know a lot and they're willing to share their knowledge. And if you think this book could be good for you, check it out. I'll send you free chapters from, from my book so you're not wasting your money. I don't, want to, I don't want to steal your money, right? I want you to get something out of it. So that's been my attitude. Yeah. Well, your book is, is um, yeah, again, it's just uh, amazing. And but, the, the moon charts in there. And I love seeing all the boards and overlays laid out. And you've got the historical viewpoints and all the design elements. And, yeah, it's just really, really great. Well, that was kind of a reaction to, to, to Mark's book, right? Like he built it as the ultimate tool set. And, and I, just, I just didn't see any tools in there. There was some good discussion. And he had a pretty useful appendix with SSRs. But I wanted to take a different approach. Like um, I've got my copy here. He talked about in the introduction about how he was going to use the knowledge of all the other uh, scenario designers out there. But he didn't quote any of them. Yeah. And he didn't uh, didn't uh, reference any of them. He, I think he mentions Pete Schelling in passing. And so I took the opposite approach. I was going to write my book like it was a history. So there were going to be footnotes, and there were going to be references, and it was going to be scholarly. And obviously, I'm not an expert. I haven't, MMP has never published anything of mine. So I'm going to go to the, the source. The guys have really done it. So there's quotes in there from Mark Nixon, I think, and from Pete Schelling, and from all the really great designers. And, and hopefully... Uh, people can 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 read that and, and kind of gain an appreciation for what the real guys have, have been doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, one one of the things that is always I, I've never written a book, but I've always thought oh, it'd be fun to read a book. And one of the thing uh, fun write a book. One of the things that has <laughs> appealed to me about that process is how much I would learn That's about it. the about the topic while doing, you know, while researching the book. You, did you, I'm Absolutely. guessing you learned a lot. I'm loading the question, but I'm guessing you learned a lot when you wrote this. No, and it's an important uh, point to make. And uh, the same with the journals, too. It's like I got interested, you get interested in a subject, and if you want to present yourself as someone who knows a lot, well, you've got to do the research. And in my case, I wanted to show the work. So there's a lot of lengthy quotes, and maybe le- lengthier than usual. Like if it was a university paper, the professor would just say, no, no, this is a pressy. Like, don't show this to me. But I wanted to show that I'd done the work. And there's sometimes there's quotes that say the same thing in different words. But I just wanted, you know, I wanted to emphasize that this is not me talking. These are the experts. And I'm just collating this stuff and presenting it, uh, hopefully in, in, a, in a way that's, you know, fun to read and a little bit easier to understand. Uh, you said that... Um... MMP has never published anything of yours, is that right? I haven't submitted a lot either, but no, they haven't. I submitted uh, an ASLSK scenario, and it was in the slush pile for a while, and, you know, I didn't hear anything from them, and I didn't want to be that guy that's, like, calling in every week what's going on, so it's sat for a year. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. I actually do know that guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's calling him all the time. Yeah. But you're not that guy. But but, uh, I'm not that guy, but I know that guy. (laughs) That's right. That's frustrating, right. frustrating. And, There's something oh, frustrating yeah. about but, those people over there. Yeah, and so I think get published, and that was fine. It's like, yeah. and that's a choice to make. 
Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons we respect MMP is because they have such high standards, right? And that's yes. why they have the proofreaders and the play testers. And I submitted a uh, article, well, a couple of articles. Eventually, I just published one myself, and another one about um, the Schmidtkin's Kibler, like the Do Your Own System. I think he originally published it in Volume 24, Number One of the General, and it was just a randomizer to how to randomize scenarios using Chapter H. And so I wrote an update to it to include all the different theaters and boards. And I don't think they had any interest in it. And I can see why. Like, this is a company that's selling action packs, you know, every year. Like, why would they promote a system that lets you design your own if they can sell really good quality scenarios? And I think the, um, the community has shifted too, right? When ASL came out, we were happy to design your own. That's pretty much what we did in high school. But now there's so much quality work coming out of so many guys, like Chris Olden, and I think even you know Scott Holt has had a bunch of stuff published by different publishers. There's there's too much to choose from now. So like, why would they go back and and promote do your own? Yeah, no, that is true. There is actually too much to choose from. <laughs> so the um. The scenario handbook came out, the designer's handbook. Did you get people that wrote you and said, wow, I've really designed some great scenarios as a result of reading your handbook? That is a oh. great question. And no, I don't. There's been a couple people said the book has been useful to them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic resource on so many levels. I just wonder how many people pick it up and think I'm going to design some scenarios and, and they pick up a lot of stuff from this or, or if you've heard back. Well, no, and I wonder if it even works that way, right? Like, I think yeah, if you're interested in scenario design, you got to kind of be a self-starter. There's nothing that can tell. It's like telling you, teaching you how to paint landscapes, right, or any kind of artistic endeavor. I mean, it really is. I think it is. A, it's an art as much as it is a science. So, and you're going to do it by trial and error, and your play testers are going to tell you, you know, what what works and what doesn't. My book isn't going to do that. Uh, there have been guys who said the book is useful and interesting, uh, definitely, uh, Ian DeGleish was really generous uh, before he passed away. Like he wrote a review for View from the Trenches, and I'm really grateful that he did that because uh, yeah, that's another guy. He's like just a giant, right? Everybody just looks up to the guy. Yeah. And I was like, meet him one year. I met him in Normandy. I was on mm. a battle tour, and uh, I don't even know how it came about. He said, "Oh yeah, we should exchange some books." Well, I wrote this rinky dink little scenario guide, and he's like written peer-reviewed books on the Battle of Normandy, and he wants to trade books with me? Like, give me a break. That was really special. <laughs> yeah, we, we were very lucky to get the interview with him just before he passed. Well, you guys have talked to so many of the giants, like John Hill, and I don't know if you ever did get a hold of Don Greenwood. I know you guys wanted to. He declined us. <laughs> well, what are you up to now? You're up to 176, aren't you? You are going to be episode 177. Well, I'm grateful. We just yeah. passed, this month we passed our nine-year mark. Yeah, boy, it goes by fast. And you, yeah, yeah, which you is, yeah, pretty, pretty, you know, I'm pretty proud of that because podcasts come and go, and right now podcasts are a dime a dozen or m many more than that. Everybody's got a podcast, and there's a lot of good quality things out there. So the fact that people take time to listen to us is pretty nice. Who do you guys listen to? Oh, I like uh, Fear the Boot for... Uh various role-playing games um some of the npr stuff i'll i'll get um like planet money and keep up on my economics and but that's available on the radio also and prof yeah. professionally developed um oh the uh the 
I like the um, Podcraft. Uh, help me out, Jeff. Recall <laughs> the scary writer. He was around in the oh HP HP Lovecraft Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. HP Podcraft. They call yeah. it. Um, <laughs> they review his books and now other horror films books, and that was kind of my inspiration for Spine and Sprocket, where they do the readings with the music in the background and interspersed. I listen to a lot of tech podcasts because I'm in IT, so yeah, yeah. that's mostly what I'm listening to. Um, but I do, I do like uh, Sam Harris has a podcast. Sam Harris is a is a scientist, skeptic, and has a really great, he's a really intelligent guy, and has a great podcast called Waking Up that I just love, and then um, a few other. L- just little things sort of here and there. I kind of flit around here and there with gaming podcasts and things like that. But the two half squads, I think is probably the best podcast on the internet. I think so. Yeah. Although the, you know, remember I used to be listening to the Pritzker. Yeah. The Pritzker military. Military one. Yep. They did a bunch. I, I've lost my, I should resubscribe because I saw them interviewing general Mick, someone currently very famous and in the military. General Mickey Rooney. Mick Manis. Oh, I don't know. No, it wasn't that one. Well, anyway, it was fascinating on Iraq and Afghanistan and current policies, and um, and it reminded me. Yeah, I was listening to the Pritzker podcast for for years, and they interview all these um, Medal of Honor winners. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Everyone's brought down to earth now. It's like you can reach out to anyone on podcast. There's some good blogs out there too, like Ian Willie's uh, Wall Advantage blog is a good one. Yes, Crystal. that's. Yeah, stories um, a battle school like that's the site I wish I would have been smart enough to create. Like it's just brilliant the way he's done it. Just from what he calls everything and and the, the, the quality of the layout, like he's done some big work too. It's really great. And um, I, you know, I met Chris uh, a few years ago when we went to Aslock, and uh, really enjoyed talking to him. But I don't know how he does it. How he makes such a great website and does whatever else he does. I assume he's got a he does some production of the a life and other things of some and, kind. Well, he was in the Airborne Regiment, so I think if you're a paratrooper, you're you're going to be pretty focused. I worked with a friend of his at uh, at Alberta Health Services, and when I was in Disaster Response Services, and uh, yeah, I mean, you got to be pretty hardcore and pretty dedicated to to be one of those guys. And so I think he just let it carry over into his hobby, and uh, I don't doubt he's a hard worker. And George Kellen, yeah. who I like over at Lone Canuck, I met him at the Rumble, and uh, he's just this great big, you got to meet him in person to get the whole effect. He's this big grizzly bear of a guy, and uh, he just commands the room. He's just this big commanding presence, right? It's like you feel you feel safe, and you also feel like you don't want to step out of line because he, he'd probably come over and strangle you. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to meet him. We had a great interview with him, and I've been an admirer of, of his products. Oh, absolutely. Too, for a long time. I don't know where he gets the time. Like, yeah. I guess he's retired, but I know he's got a family, too. And, yeah, he's he's pretty good. I, I saw you guys were talking to Steve Slund from Calgary. Uh, yep, had some c- communications back and forth, yep. I played ASL with him, and uh, some of the tank rubble. His brother was out there, so he's pretty tight with his brother. And they're kind of a fixture, I guess, at... Uh, in the Calgary scene, been to a couple meetups here locally. You don't play as much as I want to, right? That's the that's the thing for everybody, I guess. Yeah. So how how much do you play, and what's the scene like there in Calgary? 
Is it a, do you, is it a specific ASL group that meets regularly, or is it a, are there wargaming groups in general, or what's it like well, there? Like I said, I reconnected with my high school buddy about eighteen months ago. Before that, I tried to keep to keep in touch with these guys, and I get the emails, and they try and meet once every month or two months. And there's a lot of names on the list. Indy Wagyu was one of them, and I just never got got out to it. And I finally got out to a meetup, and now that I'm playing regularly. It seems like everyone else doesn't have the time. Um, so I, we, I think Colin and I try and get in at least one weekend a month. And if we can, we try and squeeze in two little scenarios rather than one big one. But we've tried some HASL. We've tried, we were going to try DU, or a DYL just for the fun of it. But it just time is at a premium, right? Yeah. I was playing Marcus Leia uh, by Vassal. That's the second time I played him. He went by uh, Portal on the game squad forums. Um, and he just kind of highlighted the difference in people uh, and opponents because he's very focused. He's fun to play with, right? But uh, just very focused. And you can tell why he's so good. It's because he's got the good habits. Like we were down to the last turn. I had one tank left and he had all kinds of guys on the other side of the map board. And it didn't matter every turn. He would advance them. He'd get concealment on them. And you, they were never going to be in contact again, but he went through all the steps. It wasn't tedious. It was actually, you know, kind of interesting to watch because just his thought process, like, to, stay, to keep those good habits forming, you know? And yeah. it just kind yeah. of highlighted. Like, it's like the difference between Canadian and American football. In American football, you got that 40-second game clock, and you, if you're winning and you get down below a minute and a half or whatever, like, I've seen the players just walk off the field. Whereas in Canadian football, you got a 20-second game clock, three downs, and they go right to the wire because they have to. They don't walk off the field. They let it go right down. And Marcus is one of those guys that just plays down to the wire. Win or lose, it, I just get the impression he's really into to form and and playing well, which I'm not. So I won't <laughs> tell you my win-lose record. Yeah, I'm more of the walk-off-the-field <laughs> kind of guy. That's true. Uh, what but about I'm, big big scenarios? Do you play big scenarios ever? Do you get a chance to play some of the monsters? We like to, but we haven't really gotten around to it. Everyone's so obsessed with balance, right? Like I don't know why. It's like yeah, I don't really know why either. That's it's well, funny you should you mention don't that. Want to play a blowout game? Well, I I like to play it for the his for kind of the historical yeah. perspective of a thing, and I don't you know obviously that's not always balanced. Well, you draw up the, as the scenario designer's handbook would tell you, you draw up your um, victory conditions that can kind of recreate an aspect of a battle, even if one well, is lost. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's you don't like have to necessarily win by killing all the yeah. enemy. You win by, by not being killed. Yeah, and evacuating. <laughs> yeah. 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 Shattering his morale. Yeah, right. I mean, not the forces, but... Um, but yeah, I cut you off. Tell me what you mean by that uh, balance. People are so worried about balance. Well, that's just it. And so you look at a, a small scenario, you figure, well, if it's a blowout, we can get through it fast and get onto another one. You set up a big one, and then there's this like irrational fear that it's going to be over in two turns, and we would have just wasted all this time setting it up. And oh my God, you know, what if it's <laughs> unbalanced? What if there's no chance to win? Well, that's going to be the way it is every time you sit down you're you're going to make the most of your chances or they're not going to be there or whatever but just play enough fun and don't worry about it 
Yeah, that's that's true also. And everyone's different. I mean, I remember uh, Ian Willie in his blog, he was interviewing people. And one of the questions he asked was, uh, do you see movies in your head while you're playing? And I thought it was a brilliant question because I thought, well, yeah, of course. You know, you're moving your 9 minus 2 liter. I remember doing this with Brent. We're playing Operation Veritable. And one 9 minus 2 liter, he was going to take out a tank in close combat. So he rolled low on his morale checks and did really well. And, well, you can just picture it in your head, right, this German leader running hell for leather down a road. But one of the guys that he asked, I think it was Pete Schelling, Pete said, no, I don't see pictures in my head. And I just thought about that. And it's like he must be one of these guys who does it for the math or whatever. It's like he calculates the odds every turn, and it's like a chess match for him, whereas, you know, you guys and me maybe play more for the experience just to relive some history. So everybody approaches it differently. It's good to remember that, too, especially if you're designing scenarios and getting feedback from play testers. And you've got to stop and think, well, well how are you approaching this, right? Yeah, and there is a lot to be said for the story of the the game, the scenario, the events that unfolded that you can, again, recall in amazement or whatever. And, and yeah, and especially if there was something like really wild in real life, like take Audie Murphy. I think if you try too hard to recreate it or to get it to happen in the game, it's going to fail. The game generates that stuff anyway, and that's I think, but that's why I play it. I think yes. Colin mentioned that. It's like, although Colin does like to go off on on long, I'm going to call them rants when you know roll a twelve or roll a two or whatever. <laughs> yeah, as, as some people yeah. like to do. But I mean that's. That's the nature of the game. It's uh, There's a lot of highs and a lot of lows, and I think that's kind of part of the excitement, which makes it hard to, again, come back to, to balance, right? You're not going to ever balance anything. I don't even know what that means. Well, the um, yeah, the vagaries of the die do give it the excitement level, and that's what makes it different because, there, as, well, as you know, there are other war games where the odds are consistently... Um, they result give a consistent result based on the how much power you have over another piece on the board, and with ASL the dice can suddenly give you an unusual result. And the funny thing, and you would think, you know, well, these other games like that are probably better for tournaments. Like, what could be as ridiculous as having a tournament for a game like Squad Leader where the dice are so heavy? But you look at the results of these tournaments, yeah, that's and there's tr- guys that are consistently winning. Yes. So you ask yourself, what are you doing? And I think Marcus is probably comes the closest to providing me an answer. It's like he's meticulous. He does everything, and he maximizes his chances. And it's the good. And knowing the rules is a huge part of it too, right? Yeah, and it's like our Rich Spilkey or Bob Bendis, and you know, Spilkey makes all the charts and does yeah, all yeah. these ana- analysis. He was just in the last issue of Bonsai also. And... So do you... yeah, oh, exactly, and that's I mean. You spend that much time, and you've got to know it to be able to recall, you know, I want to dash across the road here, and just remembering that's a rule, or a a single-man counter overrun. I think I finally did one the other day. It's been, (laughs) everyone has their bucket list, right? So I think that was one of them. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. Do you play other war games? You know, I, I collect them. Like, I've got a big collection. I set out to buy every tactical level, ground combat games set in the 20th century. And I've got all the ones published up to about 2,000, I think, including some really rare ones. And sad to say, I haven't really played all that many of them. 
Like I played a lot of solitaire ones growing up, and we've dipped our toes and stuff like up front. You know, in high school, we used to play it at lunchtime. But nothing ever really spoke to me the way ASL does, and I think that's pretty consistent with a lot of other people too, right? And computer games, like I mentioned uh, Combat Mission before. Uh, Did that, and I'm just finding, I've been trying to get back into that, playing by email, and it just seems kind of dissatisfying now. Oh, yeah, I really love having real people in my house to talk to. Oh, that's it. Like, Colin comes over, and he talks about his family, and I talk about, you know, the people I'm... you know, in relationships with and my family and and it passes the time and it's, you know, it's enjoyable. Although there have been a couple of guys I've played, you know, you go to these meetups or whatever and and you, and, well, that's why I'm so dissatisfied with the play by email. That's where I was going with that. You'll send turns back and forth by email and I'm the kind of guy I'll say, oh yeah, well, that was a good turn and maybe you should have done this differently and this is what I think I messed up. And so many people now, I just don't get a response to it. And at the end of the game, you know, you want to debrief. Like, the way Colin and I do, we'll sit around and talk and talk about tactics and what we could have done differently. And I just get nothing in return. It's just like, oh, you want to play again? And I'm just thinking, no, I don't want to play again. Like, it's not even fun. Yeah. You know, turns, like, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I agree with you totally there. So, I mean, there's some games I'd like to try eventually. Like, the Tactical Combat uh, series looks really good. It looks like it's grounded in reality, which appeals to me. So I'd like to give that a try. You know, I bought Panzer Grenadier, never tried it. Oh, yeah, I played a few. Uh, I played a few of those and And found it to be tedious. You found it tedious, eh? I did, yeah. When I played Combat Commander, Brent Pollock uh, taught me how to play uh, Combat Commander. Uh, the card-based one, no tanks, and I mean, it was fun, but it's, it's I don't know, it just seemed like, oh, not to be insulting, like a kid's game compared to ASL, right? Yeah. And I think that appealed to. Yeah, I think that's that's right. And I every once in a while, I, I play with another guy, and he brings various games, you know, from uh, the gamers, you know, the standard combat series or something from those, and they're fun, but they they don't... We don't go back to them. We never go back to them. Yeah. Like so ASL, we go back to How's the quality of some of those other MMP games? Like, just in terms of components and uh, how well the rules are written? Yeah, a lot of them. The, the, I, I think the quality of the components is really good. I'm never happy with the rules other than, you know, the ASL rules are, probably because I've spent so much time with them, they are singularly amazing. Yeah. In, in the way they lay out and the, and the depth to which they go. And I play these other games where they really need to get the rules into 12 pages, and it seems like all everything in the standard combat series needs to fit in 12 pages. Even if it doesn't really fit in 12 pages, they get it like they only get 12 pages. Yeah. Somebody hands them 12 pieces of paper and um, or six and tells them they got to, right. you know, you don't get any more than that. Um, well, the challenge too it's like these companies are getting smaller like mmp has how many full-time employees is it we one? only know of one <laughs> yeah and so they got to do all the graphic design yeah and the writing of the rules and yeah. editing and the proofreading and they're, they're relying on us like the community it's it's got to be incredibly challenging i listened i was listening to your uh talk with perry or one of your talks with perry in the car on the way to my little camping trip and 
it's pretty amazing what they've accomplished, just uh, being so short of resources compared to Avalon Hill, right, where they had a whole publishing company right. in it. Right. It is pretty amazing. So I think I'll stick with ASL. And what other stuff yeah. do you do? Where you, because, you know, we're not, we don't really, we're not on Game Squad that much. So, uh, so yeah, what other I stuff do you do? Squad. I think that could be a full-time job. It really, it can be. I think that's why I, I kind of shied away from it. it. It was just so consuming. Well, yeah, and it is what it is, too. Yeah, and it's pretty toxic there. Facebook is 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 a great place to go. Yeah. If you're looking for, for talk. And I enjoy the, the groups. Robin Reeve has a group, and uh, I think MMP has a group there that I belong to. And there's not a lot of backbiting and stuff. Like, if you like something that somebody says, you give them a thumbs up, which is which is good. There's no thumbs down. And if and nobody really talks down to anybody there, which I enjoy. Yeah. Not to say I've been perfect. I mean, I've, you know, had to smarten myself up over the last few years where that's concerned, too. But I like it. I like the Facebook better because it's more compact. It seems like on Game Squad, there's a lot of threads all over. A lot threads that that are just guys going back and forth saying, you know, thanks for your help. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, anytime. Yeah, well, when you're next in the area, let's have coffee. And it just takes up, you, you go through pages and pages of this useless back and forth. And yeah, well, it's queaky. I mean, every place gets queaky once people get comfortable with each other, right? Yeah, yeah. But are you, do you also uh, create scenarios of your own? I've written some. Uh, you know, I put a couple into my, my journal. Mm -hmm. I'm working on one right now. It's going slow. I'd like to do one with the Korea boards. I was involved in the play test group for that. Oh, okay. Great experience. Uh, I shouldn't say the play test group. It was more of the design group. I gave them some historical notes and very limited involvement, you know. But Andy Hershey was really generous, like, in getting me to, to help out. And there were some really smart guys in there, Ken Katz and Mike Reed and Guys who just know a whole lot of stuff. Uh, Sean Carter, I think, is another one. And it was really fun to be able to see this thing come together. And unfortunately, at the time they were playtesting stuff, uh, I think George had designed some of the Canadian scenarios, which is great. You know, you get the subject matter expert on Canadian stuff. And at the time, I wasn't actually playing a whole lot. So I kind of looked at some stuff in Vassal, and it, it's now with M&P and their playtesters, so I kind of missed an opportunity. But... Um, what I would like to do, I'd like to write some journal articles and stuff, because I'm hoping they support the game once it comes out, and I'm sure they're planning on it. And I kind of got a scenario in mind set in Italy in World War II, which uses the Korean War boards, which I think would be perfect for it. But it's just a matter of finding guys who want to play test. Like, it's the classic thing, like, George asks for play testers, Bounding Fire wants play testers, MMP wants proofreaders and play testers. So some nobody comes along and says, hey, guys, can you play this for me? It really doesn't get a lot of traction. And so did you provide some, you, did you say you provided some information about the Canadian involvement in Korea? Yeah, I tried to. I mean, I was able to access some information through the, uh, Royal, um, sorry, the Royal Regiment of Canadian Artillery Museum, which is a really good museum, but they charge for research. So, wow. so I kind of interfaced with them and got some info and talked to some of the, my contacts to my Canadian soldiers website. And I mean, I don't know how much, how helpful it was, but you know, I, proof the chapter H notes on the vehicles and like I said I mean they had a lot of really top-notch designers working on that thing so I think it 
I'm really looking forward to it. I know a lot of people are, but they're not going to be disappointed. I think they've done a lot of really great work on it. And is that, I have to say, I've been out of touch a little bit for the last month or so because of some big projects. That's not out yet. The Korean module is not out yet. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Still coming. Yeah, I'll bring it over when it is, Jeff. Okay. <laughs> you can rely on me. I can me. rely on you, Dave. Are we going to get a free free copy of that anyway? I'm sure uh, MMP always sends us lots of free they stuff. They send us nothing. MMP, you send us Korea, and you email us, and you tell us you're sending it so I don't buy two copies. Well, I think it's on some super extended uh, pre-order. Like, it's like a pre-pre-order or something, right? They don't want to get anyone's hopes up, but... It's uh, it's going to be really good when it comes out. Uh, I know they had an article in the last journal about it, right? It's like a little preview. And it looks like they're working on some other stuff, too. It looks like Chaz Arjun was working on, a, like, a winter winterized HASL. So they got all kinds yeah, of Yeah, right. Yes, I did see that. Right. A what? A winter. That's my yeah, idea. Yeah, set in a bulge, I think. Right. Yeah, after. Yeah. Well, oh. there's a winter board, too, in that home the the French guys, the Frank Terrier. Oh yeah, right. The home battle. Yeah, they had right. a winter board and a regular board. Well, I guess Ortone is somewhere in the pipeline too. I know all the Canadians are looking forward to that, and the late Jim McLeod's uh, work on that. And we've all seen like the the mock up of the board. I I don't know where it is in their pipeline. They got something on Manila. Yeah, and of so, course the Denant Bridgehead. And like we're talking about, I mean, it's so much work to get this stuff right. So you got, like, I don't go on the forums and complain about how slow it is. I know how much work I do on my little rinky-dink projects. Like, I don't imagine how much work it takes for them to do a professional quality stuff. You know, I'm, I, I'm wondering why there are not, or maybe I'm missing something. Are there Canadian counters anywhere? No. Is. Uh, just the Don't British. you think this is an injustice that needs to be corrected? <laughs> no, I think it's pretty good. I mean, they lump us in with the British, and we did. We trained out of the British manuals. We used all the British equipment, and they actually, I think, they overstate the case because I know in Crescendo of Doom, and I think they mentioned it again in the ASL rulebook that all the Canadians were volunteers, and so they should be elite. Well, that wasn't the case in reality. They sent sixteen thousand conscripts uh, after the Shelf fighting. And so there were some unwilling guys. I think one of my mom's uncles was one of them. He went to the Aleutians, and uh, then he went to Holland. And he never had the volunteer medal, which tells you that he was drafted. So he lived through it and came back. And I think he died of TB at the age of 30. So that was oh. a kind of bad story. But, but yeah, they weren't all elite super soldiers. So I don't think we really need... I'm kind of in favor of not having more counters. I know there's a lot of guys that love clipping them, which I don't understand at all. But <laughs> yeah. 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 Have to find any way you want, and if you want to catalog them and use matchboxes to catalog vehicle types and stuff, you'll fill your boots. Like, there's a certain satisfaction from having a really good, you know, Plano tray organized the way you want it. I'm not going to argue against that, but uh, not for me. It's possible to take it too far, so I don't think we need new counters. Okay, well that that's interesting. That's actually not the answer I would have expected. I would have thought you'd really wanted counters, and I I would think uh, you would want to design them. Uh. <laughs> well, Michael, over the years, you may have heard me say on this show that my students often are ask 
so what is Canada ever doing any of these wars? Because we're teaching them from the American perspective. And sure. for a while, I put up the flags of the major powers. And so finally, I bought a Canadian flag and I put it right up there next to England uh, or Great Britain. Be, you know, because I keep telling them, kids, Canada's in all the wars. They were even in Vietnam and they were. Um, so I could direct them to your site, Canadian Soldiers, when they do their research now. Um, but can you explain to me, because I can't explain to them. What is the relationship when when Great Britain declares a war? What's Canada's view on that? Is there, and that's uh, is it remind, NATO? Yeah, yeah. Remind me again what level you teach. Eighth grade. So it's eighth grade. Uh, it's changed in the First World War. Canada was basically a colony. When Britain declared war, we had no choice, so okay. we went. Britain's going. We're going. And then the story is we did so good at Vimy Ridge mm -hmm. that um, we got independence. It's called the Statute of Westminster. It happened in the early 20s. And Canada was given permission to develop its own foreign policy, right? We had signed independently at the Treaty of Versailles. And I don't think it was Vimy Ridge so much as the last two years of the war. The Canadian Corps got a really good uh, reputation. So did the Australians and New Zealanders. And so, and I think the U.S. Marines as well. And so, in 1939, we actually, Britain declared war on September 3rd. Canada debated in the House of Commons until September 10th. We, we wanted, to, I guess, we wanted to show that we weren't a colony anymore. We were going to set our own foreign policy. Mm -hmm. Having said that, we were still tied uh, very greatly to the Commonwealth, right? So we were using British equipment and training manuals. We sent like a million people over to the United Kingdom uh, to train. And um, and after that, I mean, it, even more independent, we've been kind of gravitating towards Americans. Like, this Korean War module is coming out. Well, right before the Korean War started, we had made a decision. We were going to switch to American weapons just for ease of training. At the end of the Second World War, uh, we had a division training with the Americans, to invade Japan, and that never came about. But I guess they must have liked the equipment, the Grand and and all that stuff. And we had a combined uh, brigade, well, we had a brigade in the Aleutian Islands as well that landed with the Americans, and they were using American helmets and, and some equipment. And so before the Korean War, they said, look, we're going to get rid of all this British stuff. We're going to use American stuff. It would be easier to buy. And then the Korean War happened, and they had to send three battalions overseas, and all they had was war stocks of British stuff. So they went with British stuff. So you had guys facing Chinese submachine gun battalions with bolt-action Lee Enfields, and they kind of rearmed themselves during the war. At one point, one battalion of the Royal Canadian Regiment had 50% of its guys equipped with American small arms. And I think you're going to see that in the game, too. Hmm. Uh, it's, I mentioned in the Chapter H notes. I don't know if there's going counters. Like, I don't want you to get too excited <laughs> but there's going to be definitely some special rules to cover those kinds of situations and there probably uh -huh. will be support weapon counters because we're using browning machine guns and stuff there too interesting um, yeah and then so today it's really you're a nato partner and you're independent we're yeah we're definitely big on nato big on the united nations and they're two different things and people often confuse them we got this reputation as being a peace uh, you know peacekeeper nation I think at last count, Germany was sending more soldiers overseas on peacekeeping missions than Canada was. We've done a lot of them, and sometimes there's been two or three guys going places as observers. 
but we're also big on our NATO commitment, and that's war fighting. And so when we, you know, went to Yugoslavia to try and keep peace there, you can only keep peace where there's peace. Right. Like Cyprus was the classic example. We kept the two sides apart. Afghanistan, that was war. And so we went as part of NATO to defend our interests and the interests of our friends, you know, down in the States. So we're always going to be guided. We're, we're the small country next to the big one. We're huge trading partners. We have a few hiccups along the way, and we're going to see some more of that, I think, in the next uh, year or two. Mm-hmm. But we're dependent on the states. You look at stuff like NORAD, which is North American Defense. Mm-hmm. So we're not going anywhere. Yeah, without, okay. Right? Yep, and so that'll help me explain that <laughs> to my classes. Well, how, everything's how it evolved. And that's why we study it, and that's my interest. Is like Everything's not black and white. It, there's, there's definitely shades of gray, but uh, we're always going to be related to the Americans. And we're glad you are. Yes, we are. Okay, favorite Canadian uh, World War II movie? Yeah, well, that's a big list, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> I only know of one, but... I was I'm... just re-watching one called Diap. It was a two-part oh. miniseries on CBC in mm. the 90s. And um, it was pretty good. We have a tendency to dwell, or to, sorry, to dwell on our disasters up here rather than our victories. Like we don't make movies about the stuff we've done well. We complain that the Americans make all these self-glorifying war movies, <laughs> and I think, well, yeah, that's the right. I mean, they're taking pride in their achievements, and they should do so. Yeah, except you can also have Canada, a balanced perspective, you know. But anyway. I was in an, an extra on uh, Legends of the Fall. They filmed some military scenes for that, and. Brad Pitt and Aidan Quinn and yeah. Henry Thomas go and join the Canadian Army in the First World War. Yeah. So that was fun to do that. I don't, didn't think much of the movie, to be honest. It was more of a, a date movie, I think. But, yeah, um, I think it was kind of, yeah, romance. Yeah. But it was interesting to be involved in that. And there hasn't been a lot of really good movies that focus on, on the Canadians. And there's, there's stories to tell, right? Right now we're in the 100th anniversary of all all these major battles. We just celebrated the Vimy Ridge Centennial. And there's some cheesy documentaries on History Channel, I'm sure, and on the CBC. But um, I don't know. It's going to take a big... Well, Paul Gross might have killed it for everybody. He did that Passchendaele movie a few years ago, and it was... I hate to say it, I didn't like it at all. And it was my regiment that was depicted in the film. And it was just heavy on the imagery and very for want of a better term, Hollywood. You know, guys fooling around with nurses in the front lines, and it's like, just give me a break. There's so many good, real stories to tell, and you guys in the States do it. You know, look at the Pacific, you look at Band of Brothers. Like, that's the benchmark, right? And it's going to be very hard to to, uh, equal that kind of quality. Maybe that could be uh, next on your list of things to do. (laughs) Well, I know why you're asking. You want to show movies to kids in class, you don't have to talk to them, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I can't help you out, I'm sorry to say. I I still teach from the front uh, and and do quite a bit of lecture and and guided uh, Socratic questioning. That's where the fun is. Socratic questioning, eh? Yeah, but I do love the film. I used The Century. It It was a series with Pete. Peter Jennings, American, came out of, obviously, the States, and it's mm-hmm. very popular amongst uh, schools. And, 
It's uh, the whole century. You, everything gets about a 10 to 12 minute uh, segment. Well, not everything because World War II, it's two whole hour segments, one on the home front, one on citizens at war. But it is so well done. It is. Just... And did your kids get anything out of it? Oh, like... yeah, because oh, I know where to – see, now, this is my thing. Other other teachers, I think, I, I know where to pause it, what to emphasize, what to reiterate. I'll actually be tearing up, you know, and, and pause the thing and, and – Dave keeps an drive in a, his pocket. Drive a point home. I mean, no, I'm serious about it. No one's allowed to doodle. Everyone has to focus. And, again, it's pretty well done that they like it. Uh, it's real people telling little stories and and uh, their introduction to the Great Depression. You can get them on YouTube. Um, I remember in junior high school, they were like the teachers wanted. Film is a great thing way to reach out to students, especially that age. And so in junior high school, they were showing um, war documentaries. And one of the teachers, he was adamant. He says, "Well, if there's going to be pictures of planes getting shot down, no one is to cheer. Like, no, we're not going to be clapping." These are like real human beings getting killed in these things. And he gave this big, long speech right before it, and we didn't really know what to make of it. I mean, we, we know now, obviously. But um, And then there were other teachers in, in high school. Like, he showed All Quiet on the Western Front at lunch as an option, right? So the three war geeks came and, and watched it, and none of the girls were interested. And I don't know that we really got a whole lot out of it. So if you're stopping it and having, you know, discussions with the class, that's, that's the way to do it, right? Yes, and you don't run it. I don't, usually won't run it for more than like a 10 to 25-minute clip, and then you move on to another activity and go back the next day to the next se- segment. Um, when I did the uh, – as I said on a previous show, a student teacher brought in the film um, World War One, the big hero guy. Oh, man, my recall is getting bad. Um Oh, Sergeant York. Thank you, Sergeant York. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, with Gary yeah, Cooper. Gary Cooper. She she wanted to show the whole thing. I said we can't do that. That'd be like two days of class time. Um, but pick a clip, and so she picked a clip of a battle scene and so on. And I said that's a good clip because it captures the trenches and the you know there's some a lot of things we could to get a sense of the, of the battle, the magnitude of it. But then I had said when she finished showing that, I said, do you mind if I bring a clip tomorrow? And I brought in All Quiet on the Western Front, their battle scene. Yeah. And then I made that a lesson in propaganda and viewpoint, right? <laughs> Point of view. Because the two films are about the same topic, and they're so very different about what war is like. And the kids, yeah, they really get it. And, and um, you know, I ended up saying, any film you're watching today, and I always try and bring it back to today, is – Understand this: the directors have want you to believe something about something. If people are engaged in partying and there's never a negative consequence, you know they're exactly. trying to have a worldview. And so, be aware of this. And yeah, I think it's one of my best lessons now. Um, so I get away from the history a little bit too. I always like to make it about their lives and and so on. Oh, and it's so true. And film is so powerful. I just think of like JFK. You know, when I was in university, we watched Oliver Stone's film on it, and I was convinced there was people in the grassy knoll and all that stuff. Uh-huh. I went down to Texas to visit my friend Gary, who I mentioned, Gary Crockover, and we went to Dealey Plaza, and I stood behind the fence, and I've read some books since, right? Uh, Vince Bouillos, he wrote a really good one, studied the history. Well, Lee Harvey Oswald did it. He did it alone. And you can't stand behind that fence and think for a second that anyone was behind there in full view of anyone. Yeah. But that movie that Stone did was so visceral, right? The, mm-hmm. the filmmaking was such high quality. You can get people to believe anything now. That's the scary part. 
So you need the skills you're teaching are excellent to question what you're reviewing and why are you feeling this way. Yeah. Yeah, and like the one film had dramatic music, the other had like no music, and which one's more realistic of war, and so on. Lots of questions to have. But. Yeah. Well, should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think uh, that does it for 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 this, Michael. I re- really appreciate you spending the time with us. It's an amazing interview. Yeah, I appreciate everything you guys do, and I, I obviously everybody does. So I'm looking forward to 200, and uh, as long as you want to keep going, you know, many more. Well, thanks. Thanks for your uh, for your vote of confidence. Yes, indeed. Take that into consideration. You'll get there. Don't worry. And uh, so, where can we see you next? Do you travel much outside of Calgary? Will you be at tournaments, going to Aslock or any of that stuff? I don't go to the big ones. Um, I was thinking maybe of going to uh, Caswell. I know you guys don't make it. Maybe one year. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not really big into the tournament thing, right? Yeah. We yeah we don't we're, like to play kind of, much, we don't like but to I like play to in hang. The but I, we, we like, like to, to hang out and record. Yeah. There are some people I'd like to meet. Uh, you know, Fred Schwartz has been very kind to me over the years, and I was kind of just a smart alecky snot to him back in the day. And he, uh, him, and I just want to say him and Glenn Houseman, um, they were using this app on uh, on Facebook uh, about tracking fitness and stuff, and I kind of saw what they were doing and. I get a lot of encouragement from them now. I lost a bunch of weight. I know Glenn's lost a bunch of weight and staying fit. And, and those two guys have really helped me. So just a shout-out to those guys. And be nice to meet them. There's all kinds of people I want to meet. Like Psycho John down in um, Louisiana. You know, so... Which, which one is he? What's, Psy- what's that? Psycho John? Who's that? Psycho from the from the Game Squad. Oh, John. okay. Oh, oh, yes. I've seen his name on Game Squad. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he'd be fun to talk to, I think. Yeah. So there's a lot of people I like to meet. So if I ever get independently wealthy, I'll, I'll come stay at the Hilton. I know you guys put people up at the Hilton when they're in town. So. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Only the best uh, the accommodations for our for our guests. Well, and maybe we'll get up to Calgary. I mean, I think I've never been there, but I hear it's fantastically beautiful. Yeah, I'm working the mountain is a place to go if you're in Alberta. But if you really want to stay in town, we've got a really good military museum. I think it'll be fun to walk through with you guys. So, oh yeah, that'd uh, be awesome. Any invitation to come on up, and I'm sure a lot of the other ASL guys would love to come out and meet you too. Well, we may show up on your door one day, but we'll call first. Um, I need to get a plug in for the um, actually Museum Fest, which we haven't done either, but it's going to be May 19th, 20th, and 21st coming up soon. I'll get this show posted. Um, before that time, so we want to just get that out into this episode also. Promote Museum Fest in Michigan. Uh-huh, and yep. contact PJ Norton, and I'll put a link up, and then, uh, okay, got the plug-in. Okay, good <laughs> boy. Thanks. All right. All right, well, thanks, Michael. We look forward to talking to you again sometime. Yeah, that would be great. Good luck, and guys. Do you know how to sign off with us, Mike? I think I do. If, uh, if I were to say, roll low. And rally, rally well. well. Yeah. But not, but not when, when you're, you're playing us. us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Ciao, guys. Bye.